أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Dear brothers and sisters and thank you for tuning in to the A Lesson Per Page Quran program by Mizan Institute We are inshallah planning to do things a little differently in this program This program of course is going to be related to tafsir of Quran but what we want to do here and the goal is to cover as much area of the Qur'an as we can and so for that we've decided to try to draw and derive a lesson per every page of the Holy Qur'an. Now of course this won't do justice to the Holy Qur'an. The Holy Qur'an sometimes each of his pages has many messages that one can take but we want to take the, a step in the right direction of spending time and energy on this Holy Book and for that we want to at least get one lesson per page of the Holy Qur'an. Um, I'm very excited to do this. This is something that uh, we used to do back in the day when we were growing up in the Hawza, uh, before we were old enough to actually go out for tabligh, or as they say, preaching and lecturing and all of that. When we were young and the older ones, the senior ones, were out of the Hawza um, for that purpose in Ramadan, because back then the classes would be cancelled so that in the in the month of Ramadan so that people could go and actually do tabligh of Islam in different cities and villages um, and towns and so the younger ones would stay back and we would have Quran circles uh, before iftar uh, we would have Quran circles where one of our teachers that we were really close to and we really loved he would spend time with us we would recite Quran the, the juz of that day and then he would give us a few pointers and points and stories and lessons from the different pages that we were covering. And so I found that very, very inspirational back then, growing up as a young Hausa student. And that's maybe the, f the first actual proper exposure I got to tafsir of Qur'an. And it, it is what ma made me fall in love with the Qur'an. And I thought we could try to recreate that, inshallah, um, uh, through this program. And so I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the tawfiq to do that. When you cover a lot of area, um, instead of focusing on one surah or certain verses, although that is also necessary and a lot of benefit comes out of that as well, but when you actually try to cover as much area as you can as well, I think it gives you a very uh, clearer idea and a stronger grasp of the overall message of this holy book, the holy Qur'an. And so that is what we are after in this program. And so we will be going through every page and going by page number. And so I want the brothers and sisters to know that we are basing all of this on the Uthman Taha script of the Quran. Uthman Taha is uh, a calligrapher uh, who has gone very, very famous. And uh, right now the Quran that he has written with uh, his uh, writing and script is the standard Qur'an usually you find everywhere amongst all the Muslims. And so that's the one that we will be going by when I say, for example, the lesson we learn on page 38. What is meant by page 38 is page 38 of the uh, Uthman Taha Mus'haf or the Uthman Taha uh, script of the Mus'haf, inshallah. That's one point I wanted to make. The next point I want to make before we begin is that we will also be reading the Arabic of the verses, I will try my best to read them as slow as I can. So those of you who might want to follow along, uh, you can do that. And so with that, inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us 
uh, and to bless us so that we can take away as much as we can from this holy book, insha'Allah ta'ala. And so with that, I want to begin. I want to begin with page number one of the Holy Qur'an. Page number one of the Holy Qur'an uh, begins with Surah Fatiha and is dedicated to Surah Fatiha. Surah Fatiha uh, has, of course, a lot that we can talk about and many, many messages in it uh, and lessons that can be taken away. But I want to, I want to start off with uh, the verse that I feel I can, I really want to take some inspiration from today, and that is uh, verse number one of Surah Al-Fatiha. So page number one is going to be dedicated to um, the uh, first verse which has to do with um, praise of Allah and how all praise is due to Allah. When we are looking at the verse itself, what we find is that the verse itself, it says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. You don't find in this verse that it says, Kullulhamd Lillahi Rabbil Alameen. That all praise, all of praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And so the question begs to be answered that why is it that in the translations they'll write all praise belongs to Allah? It seems to be saying praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, I am praising God. Yes? I am praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He's great, but there's other things out there too that I can praise as well. Yes, Allah will have the most praise. But why is it that when we translate the verse, we translate it as if, as if it is saying, Kullulhamdulillah, all praise and beauty belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes? The reason for that, our scholars have explained. Scholars, great scholars like Allama Tabatabai, when they do tafsir of these verses, they have explained that there is another verse that allows us to understand that if there's any praise out there, it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is that verse? We have another verse in the Quran. It says, الَّذِي أَحْسَنَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقَهِ The one who has made very good, very beautiful, everything he has created. So if I am going to, for example, praise a flower, when I look at a flower and I find it very beautiful, I find somebody praiseworthy for what they've done or what they're doing. What needs to happen here and what I have to understand is that is this thing, is this object, is this person, are they at the end of the day a creation of Allah or not? If they are a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the verse الَّذِي أَحْسَنَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ will apply to that person or that object or that thing that's praiseworthy, whatever it is. Anything you can label as a creation of Allah, a creature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if there's any room for praise for that thing, that person, that virtue or merit, it originally belongs to who? Belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? So if I see a flower, and that's a very beautiful flower, it smells so good, it looks so good, it looks so nice, look at the vibrant color in it, and I praise it, you know, what a beautiful flower, look at all the beauty. 
Everything I'm saying in reality belongs to who? Belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because that is His creation, number one. Number two, if it is His creation, He Himself has said in the Qur'an, anything that I have created, I have given it goodness, I have given it beauty, I have given it praiseworthiness. Yes? Anything that's a creature, a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will be in its best form. And so any praise that it will get actually goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this understanding that some might have that, you know, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen means, you know, uh, we thank Allah. Alhamdulillah means thank you, O Allah. Or Alhamdulillah means, you know, Allah, you're praiseworthy. Just like, you know, there are other things that are praiseworthy. If your praiseworthiness is at the level of 1,000, others will be at the level of 100. These types of understandings are not very accurate with other verses of the Qur'an. Other verses of the Qur'an are helping us understand that when we say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, that all praise is due to Him. Because everything is His creation and anything that is His creation, Allah has given it beauty and praiseworthiness. Ahsana kulla shay'in khalaqahu. Now, if a person has such a perspective and understanding of this verse, what happens is that they will, when they're praying, because this is a verse we pray, we use in our prayer and salat every day. Uh, at least 10 times a day we're, we're reciting this verse, right? At least 10 times a day with through our wajib salats. If a person has this perspective, when they say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all praise is due to you. This will slowly, inshallah, have an effect on one's understanding, on one's soul. Their salat, inshallah, will slowly improve, at least to the extent that they understand who they're standing before. The one who, everything else out there that I love so much, that I think is so awesome and cool, in reality, he's the one who all this awesomeness and coolness goes back to, all this beauty and praiseworthiness goes back to. I think this is where it begins, brothers and sisters, in our salat, at least when we say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, we have this in mind, that all beauty belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, let's move on to page number 2. Page number 2 is where Surah Baqarah begins. Surah Al-Baqarah, of course the longest surah in the Qur'an, full of wonderful points and lessons for us, speaking about Prophet Adam, speaking about the Munafiqeen and Kuffar, speaking about Bani Israel. Oh my God, like there is so much to learn from the stories of Bani Israel and how they were with Prophet Musa and other prophets. Other prophets, not just Prophet Musa, but other prophets as well. And so throughout this surah, inshallah, we will be going through some of those uh, lessons that this surah can give us. And so with that, we want to go to actually um, page number two now and some of the verses that we, get, we take a lesson from. Insha'Allah. All right, so it says Surah Baqarah um, on page two. Those of you who have the Uthman Taha Quran, it'll have like five or six verses um, of Surah Baqarah. Five verses of Surah Baqarah on page number two, and there is a big, very big lesson and point in this in this set of in the set of verses that uh, we want to discuss. And those are going to be addressing this question of who is the Qur'an a book of guidance for? Okay, so for us, growing up, we've always learned, we always know that the Qur'an is a book of guidance for all of mankind, all people, right? But is that 
what the verses are going to be telling us? Do we have an answer to what the verses might be telling us? Is there an explanation to what the verses are telling us that might go contrary or might sound contrary to what we've been taught all our lives, what we've known all our lives? So let's go and read the verse first and then we'll discuss this matter. It says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنْزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنْزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُوقِنُونَ This is the book. There is no doubt in it. A guidance to the God-weary or the muttaqeen, those who have taqwa. Well, who are they? Give us some signs of them. What do they look like? Those who believe in the unseen and maintain the prayer and spend out of what we have provided for them and who believe in what has been sent down to you and what was sent down before you and are certain of the hereafter. Alright, so when we look at this verse, what do we see here? Well, there might be a little problem here for some. Why is that? Because we have learned all our lives that the Qur'an is a book of guidance for all of mankind. But in the verse, it says, and this is verse number two, it says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It is a book of guidance for those who have taqwa. Well, okay, usually what we, our understanding of taqwa or a, or a person who is muttaqi is that they have God-wariness. That means they believe in God, okay, they believe in Islam and also because they fear God, they are God-weary, they are careful not to cross the red lines of God. The wajib and harams of God are observed by them. This is, this is the meaning of having taqwa or this is what having taqwa entails. Okay, so when you say that this is a book of guidance for the muttaqeen, it sounds like you're limiting the Qur'an to who? to those who are Muslim already. In other words, it's as if the verse is saying that this is not a book of guidance for all of mankind. It's only for the religious ones. What's going on here? Well, our scholars have explained that there are different levels and stages of having fear of God, of God-wariness. We have to understand this. And there's a, it's a very subtle point here that we have to remember. Disbelievers or you want to say those who are not who don't have who have not embraced Islam for example they're of two types okay there are some who are after the truth let's not even say they're maybe Christian or Jewish or let's just say they're atheist even whatever whatever they might not even believe in God at all but in their heart they're like if there is a God out there all right, I'm, the I'm going to be the first one to accept what he says. I'm the one who's going to embrace his faith, the faith that he wants me to embrace first. I'll be the one who will believe in his prophet first. I'm just not convinced anyone's out there or there's any God out there or whatever, whatever. Right? But deep down inside, in their heart, what is it? They are looking for the truth. Right? These are some of the disbelievers. But then there's other types of disbelievers who don't even care. They're not even interested. 
If you tell them, hey, don't you think there's a chance there's a God out there? They're like, even if there is, I don't even care. I'm a disbeliever because I just don't, I'm not even interested. Right? These people have a sickness in their hearts. It's one thing to not know what the truth is, but to be after the truth versus not caring if there's a truth out there or not, or if there's a chance there's a truth out there or not, I don't, I'm not even interested in looking into it. And lots of times people will be lazy and they'll just think about their own life and their own pleasures and they'll care less about actually looking into these matters. Yeah, And these people will be held responsible on the Day of Judgment or can be held responsible badly on the Day of Judgment. All right, let's go back to our verse though. The verse was saying the Qur'an is a book of guidance for who? It's a book of guidance for the muttaqeen. Our scholars, our mufassireen have explained that what is meant by muttaqeen here is anyone who has a little ounce of fear of God in them. Right? If you have that much yearning for the truth, looking for the truth, caring for the satisfaction of a God that might be out there, picking up the Qur'an, inshallah, should be enough for your guidance. During the Prophet's time, how were people uh, you know, embracing Islam? How was it happening? Was the Prophet giving them like some deep philosophical lessons or something on God? No. All he did was recite Qur'an to them and that was enough for them to embrace the faith. right? And so that's what the Qur'an here seems to be saying. That I am a book of guidance for whoever is looking for the truth and has a little bit of fear in their heart that, oh my God, what if there is a God out there? What if there is a truth out there and I haven't done my due diligence to figure out what that truth is? Yeah. And so these people will hopefully find some light in the Qur'an, find some guidance in the Qur'an. Now someone might say, but look, we see a lot of people out there who are after the truth, who might look into Islam, but they just, not, they just won't accept it in the end. What about that? If the Book of Guidance is for, those, for these types of people, how come it's not happening? Well, there are lots of external factors, brothers and sisters, sometimes, that might hinder this, might not allow this to happen. Someone might pick up the Qur'an and will misinterpret the verses, misunderstand the verses, and think that the verses are speaking about something else or are too extreme or something like that, and they might end up not accepting the faith. Or even worse than that, some people might uh, look at what others who are Muslim or are adherents of Islam or claimants of, of being adherents of Islam, look at the mistakes that they're making and just not be interested in this faith. They're like, if this, they're like, if this is the faith that these people have, I'm not interested. Well, that, that person is misrepresenting the faith. That's not the faith itself. And so this is something that we need to keep in mind, that uh, Islam can sometimes be misrepresented, the Qur'an can be misrepresented, sometimes it can be misunderstood, and this might be a reason. These are the external factors that might play a role in some people not being interested in Islam or the Holy Qur'an, but that does not undermine the fact that the Qur'an itself, if preserved properly, the meaning of it, the message of it, and delivered properly, can usually, if not always, be a book of guidance for the people. Alright, let's move on to page number three of the Qur'an in Surah Baqarah. Those who think they're doing the right thing. Hmm. What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that the Qur'an 
start speaking about people who, you know, they say that we believe, but they don't believe. People who maybe God has sealed their hearts. People who uh, have marad in their hearts, as the Quran says, fi qulubihim maradun, fazadahumullahu maradha. They have a sickness in their hearts. These people who are the disbelievers, who I guess are the ones who are not muttaqin, they don't care about God. Okay, well, for these people, they're going to have their own standards. Okay? They're going to have their own standards of what is right and what is wrong because they care, like they could care less what God thinks, what uh, religion thinks, right? And so they will be thinking that they are doing good. They are bringing about reform. But in reality, what are they doing? They are causing corruption, right? Let's see what the verse says and then see how that can uh, apply to us as Muslims today even. The verse says, verses 11 and 12 on page 3. They read, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُصْلِحُونَ أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْمُفْسِدُونَ وَلَكِنْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ When they are told, do not cause corruption on the earth, they say, we're only reformers. You know, we're only doing good. <laughs> Look, they are themselves the agents of corruption, but they are not aware. This is so scary. This is so scary. Why? Well, because although these verses are speaking about uh, the uh, kuffar, the disbelievers, and those who don't have an ounce of taqwa, in their hearts, or fear of God in their hearts, let's say. Those who have sickness, marad in their hearts. Those who God might have sealed their hearts, and so on and so forth. Although it's talking about those people, right? The thing is, it the verses are putting their finger on a characteristic of these people that can apply to anybody. Muslim even, non-Muslim, anyone. Christian, Jew, Muslim, atheist, whatever it is. Disbeliever, believer. And so that's what we have to be careful about. We have to be careful to not be in the wrong, thinking that we're in the right. This happens. This happens. This is not something that, o that, only, it, that you only find in disbelievers. No, no, no. This is for everybody. <laughs> we don't want to have the characteristics of those who are fi qulubihim marad that they have, a, they have sickness in their hearts. And of course, the sickness there is a spiritual one. We don't want to be like that. Well, this is one of the characteristics that we have to try to avoid. Try to avoid feeling that we're always right and we're in the right, everyone else is in the wrong. While it's the exact opposite. We are in the wrong. We are the one agents of corruption. right? Well, how can we prevent something like this? Well, first of all, we have to get our standards straight. What is my standard for knowing what is right and what is wrong? so that I don't cause corruption thinking I'm bringing about reform. God forbid. I have to fix the standards. How do I fix the standards? I have to be in line with Islam. How, am I, how do I make sure I'm in line with Islam and Islamic teachings and the wajib and haram of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How, how do I know that? I have to educate myself. <laughs> I have to read. I have to study. I have to study the Quran. I have to study the books of the marajah and, and so on and so forth at least. So that I know right from wrong, you know. Some people, it's unfortunate and uh, I don't like saying this, but like, yeah, that, that for them, there are other priorities in life. Uh, 
when it comes to um, spending their time, their extra time elsewhere. It's fine to have leisure and all that kind of stuff, recreation, it's all, it's all good. But do we spend at least the amount of time that's necessary to know right from wrong in Islam? Yeah, Or at least ask. So either we need to educate ourselves through reading and studying and all of that, which is wonderful, or at least, what do we do? Well, at least what we do is we sit in the presence of the scholars and the greats, right, to learn from them, to see what they give precedence and priority to. Sometimes a person, what they're doing isn't wrong necessarily, but the amount of time and energy they're pouring into something is not one of the priorities of Islam. And so when you tell them, like, no, don't worry, we're doing what we need to do, you know, we're doing this program or that uh, uh, lecture or so on and so forth. All right, well, what are you talking about? We're talking about this, we're doing that. All right, well, this is not one of the priorities. If you had, if you had spent some time with some of these great scholars or read up on things, you would have understood this is not one of the priorities. We're still, we're still uh, lacking in other things that are more important than this. We haven't figured those out. Now we're going to spend all this time, money, and effort and energy on things that are not priority. And then when you tell the individual, it's like, no, no, we know what we're doing. No, you don't know what you're doing. right? So why, why does that happen though? That happens because lots of times we haven't read enough, we haven't studied enough, and we haven't been in the presence of the greats enough. I mean, we are living in very sensitive times right now, in, in very pivotal times, where certain values will be shoved down our throats as Muslims. Yeah? as Muslims living in a secular world. Well, sometimes even our Muslim brothers and sisters will be pushing certain secular values when those are not the priorities, if not crossing the red lines of Islam even. So these are things we have to be super careful about or else, although we are still Muslims and that's inshallah we are on the straight path and all, but we will have this characteristic of being people or agents of corruption, God forbid, God forbid, while we think we are the reformists, we are the ones bringing about good change for the Muslim Ummah. We seek refuge in Allah from that. Moving on to page number four of the Holy Quran, and that is, um, has to do with the Quran being a miracle. All right, so. The Qur'an being a miracle, we need to speak about miracles in general. We'll talk about that a little bit. But on page 4, the Qur'an is reminding the people, is reminding the people of one of the main conditions of miracles being fulfilled by the Holy Qur'an. Okay, so before we get into the details of that, let's recite the verse. It says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ فِي رَيْبٍ مِمَّا نَزَّلْنَا عَلَىٰ عَبْدِنَا فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِّن مِثْلِهِ وَادْعُوا شُهَدَاءَكُمْ مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ And if you are in doubt concerning what we have sent down to our servant, then bring a surah like it and invoke your helpers besides Allah should you, tr should you be truthful. If you're really right about what you're claiming, let's see you bring a Qur'an like this one. Now this verse here, this verse 23, actually is pretty cool because 
It's not saying bring a, ver uh, bring a, bring a Qur'an like this one. What's it saying? <laughs> it's saying bring a surah like this one. Okay, let's talk about mir miracles here a little bit. When Allah sends down prophets, they come and tell the people that, hey, I'm a prophet of God, listen to me. That's what, that's what they want from the people. They want from the people, the people's attention and obedience. Yeah, that's what they want from the people. And so the problem here or the challenge is that anyone can come and say and claim that I'm a prophet, right? Anyone can claim that they're a prophet. What is the measuring stick that one is supposed to use to gauge the truthfulness of a claimant of prophethood, right? Think about it. Someone knocks on your door. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Uh, just wanted to let you know I'm a prophet of God. Are you just going to be like, yeah, I've known you uh, for a while and you know, you're a good guy. You're probably right. You are a prophet. Is that how we accept it? Their, prophet, their claim of prophethood? <laughs> no, that's not how anyone does it. But rather what we do is we understand for ourselves that if God is going to actually send someone to us as a prophet, right? what he's going to have to do with this individual that is claiming to be linked to the, to the divine, to be linked to the heavens, is to give him something special that he can show me and you and everyone else that proves that he's truthful in his claim of being linked to God. Or else there is no other way for us to be 100% sure that someone yeah, is truthful in their claim. All right. So they have to do something very extraordinary. But the question here that also comes up is, well, um, is any extraordinary act going to be enough? And is it going to cut it for me to be able to accept the claim of someone being a prophet? Or does that extraordinary act have to be in a way that no one else can do something like it? It has to be such that no one else can counter it. That's how it's supposed to be. Think about it. All right, let's let's go. Let's talk about Prophet Musa salam, Okay, think about it. All the sorcerers. We know. You know. We all know the story, right? The story of the sorcerers and Musa, salam. All their sorcerers have gathered. Fir'aun is sitting on his throne watching as well, right? And we are going to have a contest between Prophet Musa and the sorcerers. The sorcerers throw down their ropes and their canes and their staffs, whatever they have, their sticks that they have. And those turn into serpents. And then Prophet Musa throws his staff and that is also turning into a serpent. And then these serpents are fighting each other and then Prophet Musa's serpent gets beat up. <laughs> Think about it. Is anyone going to believe in Prophet Musa salam, saying that I'm a prophet, I have, I have a connection with the highest and most powerful entity of the universe which is God Himself. Is anyone going to believe him if he says something like that? No, of course not. It's going to defeat the whole purpose. What has to happen here is Prophet Musa salam, when he says, I am a prophet of God, his extraordinary act and miracle has to overcome everyone else's uh, extraordinary acts. The sorcerers of Prophet Musa's time, they came with the best they had. So Prophet Musa also has to come with the best he has that Allah has given him. And that has to overcome all of what they do. And that's what the Qur'an says. It says, His serpent, 
devoured the rest, destroyed the rest. All right, so one of the conditions of a miracle is that it is unmatched, it cannot be countered. And that is what the verse here is saying. Verse number 23 of Surah Baqarah is reminding everyone and is challenging everyone. And through this challenge is reminding them of how the Qur'an fulfills that main condition of being a miracle, which is that it cannot be countered. The Qur'an here says, look, I'm going to challenge you. With, the, with, with bringing another book like the Qur'an? No, no, no. Bring me a chapter like one of the chapters of the Qur'an. And it doesn't say one of the long chapters. <laughs> it says any chapter. So like we all know, like some chapters of the Qur'an are very short. The Qur'an says that'll even suffice. But bring something like it, not just in eloquence. It says bring something like it all in all. Eloquence, lofty messages, you know, very lots of there's a lot of nur in these verses. Don't just make some um, nonsense poetry up and say this is like the Qur'an. No, no, no. It has to have rich meaning as well. All these different elements that make it stand out over all the other uh, literature out there of the times of the Jahiliya Arabs. I want something like that. Let me see you bring it. And if you can't bring it, that's fine. Get help from everyone else. Invoke your helpers besides Allah. Get anyone's help you need except Allah's help. And hey, we're good, but they, you won't be able to. And if the Qur'an was afraid that there is even the slightest chance that someone will be able to bring such, uh, such a book like it, or a surah even like it, then it wouldn't make this challenge. No one in their right mind is going to make such a challenge to the people when there's a chance that the people are going to be able to you know, live up to that challenge. Right? And so this shows that no, this is a Quran, this is a book that is a miracle. It is the miracle of the whole of the Holy Prophet. And that the Quran is confident that no one's going to be able to do anything like it, and that's why it will set this challenge up for the people. Reminding us that look, don't look left and right. Don't stray off the path. Focus on this Qur'an and make the most of this Qur'an because no one's going to ever be able to bring something like it. Inshallah, we make the most of this holy book. Alright, let's go to page number 5 of the holy Qur'an. Isn't this the same fruit we'd have before? Alright, what's going on here? Well, inshallah, when we all make it to Jannah, inshallah, 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 and hopefully we make it to Jannah without having to go through Jahannam first. <laughs> um, and this is a dua that uh, we should be making uh, all the time. رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِغْ قُلُوبَنَا بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا Or رَبَّنَا صْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمْ إِنَّ عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرَّ وَمُقَامًا That, oh Allah, like protect us from the hellfire. This is a dua. قِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ All of these types of duas that we have in the Qur'an they're there for a reason. And inshallah, we make the most of these du'as as well and we recite them and ask Allah for what they are telling us to ask for. But anyway, inshallah, when we're in Jannah, it's pretty cool because the Qur'an tells us that when we are blessed with certain blessings of Jannah and the fruits of Jannah particularly speaking here, we're like, hey, wait a minute, isn't this what we were having before in the dunya. And so it shows that there's a link here apparently between dunya 
and Akhirah. So let's let's get into that. But first, let's recite uh, the Quran related to this theme. It says, وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ أَنَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ كُلَّمَا رُزِقُوا مِنْهَا مِنْ ثَمَرَةٍ رِزْقًا قَالُوا هَذَا الَّذِي رُزِقْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِ وَأُتُوا بِهِ مُتَشَابِهَا وَلَهُمْ فِيهَا أَزْوَاجٌ مُطَهَّرَةٌ وَهُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ And give good tidings, which means give good news. To who? To those who believe and do righteous deeds, that they will have gardens in paradise, beneath which rivers flow. Okay, awesome. Whenever they are provided with a provision of fruit therefrom, they will say, hey, this is what we were provided with before. And it is given to them in likeness. Something similar is given to them. And they will have therein purified spouses and they will abide therein eternally. Wonderful. What's going on here? As I said, it's not like, it, it seems like based on these verses, and other verses that I'm going to share with you, that we will be given the fruits of Jannah, inshallah, when we're there, we'll be given the same, similar fruits of what we had here in this dunya. Not something like totally different, it seems. Okay? I want to share with you another verse that kind of sheds more light on this idea. Uh, this is Surah A'raf, verse 32. In Surah A'raf verse 32 it says قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ قُلْ هِيَ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا خَالِصَةً يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Alright? That apparently in that time, and this happens all the time, things that are not haram, things that are halal, things that are pure, they are of the tayyibat sometimes. Our people, for some reason, who might want to be a little extra spiritual when it's not it might not when it not when it might not be necessary will make those things will deprive themselves of those things and not just themselves they sometimes might impose it on their, their families or whoever else that might listen to them no 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 there are beautiful things in this world there are tayyib pure things in this world Allah has created for us to use and consume and benefit from and take pleasure in halal pleasure in the verse is, is it has a scolding tone surah araf verse 32 it says wait a minute who is making this stuff haram when it's not really haram man harrama zinat allah zina of course means something that's beautiful something that's nice right who has made the zinat, the, the, um, the beautiful things of this life and the pure things, the pure forms of sustenance in this life, who's made them haram? Allah didn't make them haram. As a matter of fact, These are for the believers in this life. This is the part I, I, I want to cite that's going to help us understand one of these lessons of page 5 of the Qur'an that we get from verse 25 of Surah Baqarah. It says, look, these things that God has created, the pure things, the beautiful things of this life, these are for the believers. 
Khalisatan Yawm al the pure version of it, the, if you may, perfect version of it, is for them on the Day of Judgment, the hereafter. Ah. So you know, don't you hate it when you go to the grocery store, you buy a box of strawberries, they're looking really good on the top, you go home only to find that on the bottom they're all rotten. Don't you hate it when there's this fruit that you really enjoy, but there's these bitter seeds in them, or in it, that as you go through the sweetness of that fruit, it is all ruined for you because your teeth crunch through those bitter seeds in, the, in them. I'm just giving examples here, okay? <laughs> all right. Someone might say, well, nowadays we have discovered how to make fruit or grow fruit that doesn't have seeds in it. Well, good for you. This is just an example, okay? <laughs> it's just an example here that we're talking about. What I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> these fruits that we have here and other pure sustenance that we have here and the beauties that we have here, the purest version of it, the most perfect version of it, or the perfect version of it, if you may, we will be benefiting from Yawmul Qiyamah and in the Day of Judgment and hereafter, inshallah, inshallah, in Jannah. And so these people, when they're eating that fruit, they're like, wait, wait a minute here. This is what we were provided with before. It's like the same thing. And the Quran says, yeah, we're going to give them some similar stuff. Why? Because we gave, it was for them in the, in the life of the dunya, but it wasn't the perfect version of it. Here, now have the perfect version of it. And you want me to add more to it, brothers and sisters? You want to make it even better? Well, the Quran says in another verse, uh, that the fruit of the trees of Jannah and the gardens of Jannah is what? Is close by. It's not like you got to go climb a ladder, pick that fruit, maybe get pricked by uh, some of the thorns and maybe fall off the ladder, God forbid, and break something in your body. No, 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 don't worry about it. That the fruit of uh, the gardens, um, now those verses are talking about, those verses are talking about specific gardens, two specific gardens, but all in all, these fruits are very accessible. Maybe you just point to it and you say, come to me, Habibi, and it comes to you, this fruit. Or not even that much effort is needed. Because, you know, when you point your finger and you actually say, come to me, maybe that's a calorie or half a calorie burnt. Who wants to burn calories in Jannah? Maybe you just have to will it and it will come, you know? That, that type of thing. So, um, what I get out of this, which is pretty cool, is in addition to everything we said so far, is that it seems that there is a link between Jannah and the hereafter and even this dunya. There is somewhat of a link. Now how strong or weak of a link there is, God knows. What type of link it is, what, what you get out of this link, I, we don't know exactly. But there are verses throughout the Qur'an sprinkled that show that there is a link. It's not, it's not like Akhirah and Yawmul Qiyamah is totally separate from dunya either. There are some subtle links here and there but this is something that the Ahlul Bayt have to teach to us. Our scholars have to teach to us. And they have, of course. There are some very nice points that we don't want to get into right now. But all in all, um, I think that is something pretty cool we get out of page number five. All right. Let's move on to page number six now. Asking God a question 
versus questioning God. All right? So, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that we all know the story of Prophet Adam salam. We've heard it again and again. There's a lot of lessons in that one too for us and Iblis. The story of Prophet Adam, it's covered throughout the Qur'an a lot, okay? And from different angles, sometimes different aspects of it, you know, are covered for us to be able to take away from that story whatever we need to take away from it. It's a very uh, interesting story. There's a lot to say about it. But on page number six, there is one thing that is discussed that um, I don't recall any other accounts of Prophet Adam's story throughout the Quran bringing up. And that is the dialogue that takes place between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the angels that are present when Allah sort of, you know, you can say announces his decision to have a khalifa on earth. That I'm going to put a khalifa on the face of the earth. So there's a dialogue that happens between the angels and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we'll get to that and what, what lesson we can take away from that. But first let's recite the Qur'an in this regard. This is uh, verse 30 of Surah Baqarah. It says, وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةٌ قَالُوا أَتَجْعَلُ فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءِ وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ when your Lord said to the angels, Indeed, I am going to set a viceroy, a khalifa, in other words, on the earth, they said, Will you set in it someone who will cause corruption in it and shed blood while we celebrate your praise and proclaim your sanctity? He said, Indeed, I know what you do not know. All right, so there's a dialogue going on here between the angels and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's going on here is that the angels, they had seen creatures apparently before Prophet Adam salam, or Adam salam. They had seen creatures before him and how these creatures are. Now what these creatures were exactly, there are you know discussions on that. Who are these angels exactly talking about? But all in all, all in all, they noticed they noticed one thing about these creatures that they shed each other's blood. They do dhulm to each other. They oppress each other. So the angels they're thinking to themselves, okay, God is creating someone as his khalifa. But look, why would you want to do something like that? If you want to do something like that, first of all, you gotta create someone who actually can be your proper representative. All we're seeing of creatures so far is that they all they do is shed blood. <laughs> That's all we see. They said, will you set in it someone who will cause corruption and shed blood? Right, so that's all we're seeing. So that guy, that, if you're creating someone, we're afraid that they're not going to fit that description that you're after. And at the same time, we are, it seems, fitting that description of Khalifa, which is what? Which is celebrating your praise. Proclaiming your sanctity, yeah. So, like, what's the point of all this? So they ask the question from who? Not from, you know, any normal person. Not even from Marja Taqlid. Not even from an Imam or a Prophet. From God Himself, they ask the question. 
regarding something God wants to do. Does the Quran scold them? Nope. This is very interesting and hope-inspiring. Why? Because they asked the question. Now Allah didn't want to necessarily answer them right away. So what did Allah say? Inni a'lamu ma la ta'lamun. I know something you don't know. In other words, yo, don't worry about it. Okay? This is my business. I know what I'm doing. And that's it. What did the angels do after that? They didn't, this, the, the, the dialogue ends there. The discussion does not continue. They do not argue with God. In other words, they don't question God. There's a difference between asking a question and questioning. And this is what I want to talk about. The Quran didn't scold them for asking a question. But there was one person amongst them by the name of Iblis who didn't ask a question. But what did he do? He questioned God's decision. God said, bow down to Adam. Usjudu li Adam. Shaytan, which was known then by the name of Iblis, he didn't say, oh Allah, can you explain to me um, you know, what's going on here? What did he say instead? He said, no, 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 I'm not gonna. He questioned God and God's authority. And not only that, he started arguing with God. Why should I prostrate when I'm made from fire? He's made from clay. Of course, fire is higher than clay. Why should I prostrate? Wait a second here. You're quest are you asking a question or are you questioning God? Well, clearly it was the second. And that is what got him kicked out of wherever he was and that level of awesomeness that he had. Unfortunately, he failed. Why? Because he questioned instead of asking a question. There's a big difference between these two, although you know, the, the, they, they sound similar. right? And I, I'm pretty sure you all know what I did there by, by using this, these two phrases, questioning God versus asking God a question. What does this have? What can we take away from this? Well, brothers and sisters, there is so much out there of Islam that we don't know the reasons for. And sometimes you get the feeling that Allah wants it to be like this. It's part of the test. Are these people going to listen to me or not? At the end of the day, I am God. They acknowledge that. And I have certain commands for them. They acknowledge that too. Are they going to come up with excuses? Are they going to question what I have said and all of that or not? Sometimes we'll ask a question, why is this haram? Why is this wajib? What's the philosophy behind this? What's the wisdom behind that? If we find an answer, for example, in our hadiths, our scholars have an answer, they'll give it to us. Why not? But if it has not been uh, explained and clarified to us in our sources, for example, or if I'm living during the time of an imam and I ask the imam or I ask the Holy Prophet and he says, don't worry about it, just do it like this. Fajr Salat has to be two rak'ah. Just do it like that. What am I going to do? Am I going to question now? If I ask a question and I don't get an answer or I can't find an answer, do I start questioning the rule itself? That's where we have to be very careful. And this is why our scholars will say that it is so important that even if someone is struggling with the commands of Allah, with the wajib and haram of Allah, that at least, what do they do? At least they're careful not to say that uh, 
you know what? I don't even think this is haram. I think this is from 1400 years ago. Well, are you saying this or is your marja saying this? If your marja says, I have come to the conclusion that this ruling was something that was applicable to the time of the Prophet it's not applicable to our time today, okay, fine. He's the expert, right? He's the expert. He's gone to the sources. I trust him and I trust that he, um, when he is you know, issuing a verdict like this, that he is doing it with the best intentions in mind, right? But if I'm coming to this conclusion, who am I? I'm not an expert in this. And so I have to be careful. In, instead of saying, no, no, wait a minute, why is this haram to even begin with? At least to say, oh Allah, this is the ruling that we have right now. And it's a hard one. <laughs> and I'm struggling with it. Yeah? Forgive me. And I'll try, I really want to try my best to, you know, in, inshallah, one day not commit such a sin. This, our scholars are always saying, is better and has more value in the eyes of Allah. That you at least acknowledge that this is what Allah wants from me. And then, okay, if you're struggling with it, oh Allah, forgive me. Like This is something that even Ahlul Bayt in their du'as, for example, Imam Sajjad salam in his du'as, you'll find it. He says, خَطِيئَةٌ uh, عَرَضَتْ it is something that happened. It is a mistake that I made. Oh Allah, I acknowledge it's a mistake. I'm not going to question the rule that I might have trampled and you know not observed. In, 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 what I'm going to do actually is going to question myself. I'm going to say it was a mistake on my part. Or else you know what you're doing. You are entitled to do whatever you think you need to do because you are, at the end of the day, you are God. This is the right perspective to have. Or else... We are traversing, God forbid, God forbid, traversing <coughs> the, the path that Iblis took, which was one of not asking a question, but rather questioning. And we don't want that to ever happen. We ask Allah so that that never happens at least, and we seek refuge in Allah from that. I think that should be enough for today. And we will continue our discussion tomorrow uh, in our next session starting from page number 7 of the Holy Qur'an. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.